Want to become an AI trailblazer in the product world? Pragmatic Institute's newest workshop, AI for Product Professionals, is your ticket to generative AI mastery. In this hands-on training, learn to master chat GPT and prompt engineering to transform your product strategies, rapidly create content, optimize workflows, and make razor-sharp product decisions fueled by data. Don't just keep up with the AI revolution. Lead it. Seats are limited. Enroll today at pragmaticinstitute.com slash AI workshop. Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Calajaris from Pragmatic Institute and your host for this episode. And today I'm extremely excited because we have two long, long, long time friends of Pragmatic who I've had the pleasure of working with, I think about 10 years on podcasts, on articles, on live events. So today we have with us Neil Barron and Rod Griffiths. So welcome, Neil and Rod. Hello, this is Neil. Glad to be here. And Rod, glad to be here as well. Excellent. All right. For those people listening who've maybe not had the pleasure of working with you for so long, let's go through just quickly like your background and what you do. And uh, I always like to call it your origin story, right? Why are you so passionate about the kind of product space that you're in today? Let's start with Neil. So for me, I, I've been a product leader for many, many years for a variety of tech companies, B2B, in sales, marketing, products, services, executive positions. And I started my own consulting firm helping B2B organizations implement best pra- product management and product marketing best practices, such as those that they learn at Pragmatic Institute. So I have been working with a number of B2B companies ranging from 30-person startups to $16 billion banks and financial services firms. Excellent. Well, good hands there. How about you, Rod? Well, I similarly spent about 10 years at a large tech company. That's where I actually, Neil and I worked together many years ago in product marketing role as well as product manager. And then I, uh, in the early 90s, I saw an opportunity to start a company. So I co-founded a Market Reach, my company, in 1994. We are a B2B marketing services agency that specializes in technology markets. So we deal with hundreds of technology companies of every size, dealing with the challenges of complex products, long sales cycles, the usual types of challenges of difficult differentiation. And we help implement marketing programs, campaigns, and sales tools. So based on Nashua, New Hampshire. Excellent. So I think in all three of our experiences and our careers and, and the work we've done, one of the things that's been a big part of it is, is really segmentation, right? We think about segmentation in terms of market segmentation and, and who we're going to reach, messaging segmentation and how we're going to talk to different groups. We think about price segmentation. You know, that's a big one of how you can kind of optimize based on when you pay. And I think it's something like everybody in the product marketing and product management space knows is important. But I think a couple of things, I think they get overwhelmed on the how to do it. And I think they don't always think of all the different factors that are really play a key role in segmentation. And you guys shared with me an article that you had written for the Harvard Business Review and got published there 
that talks just about this. And I think it's such a great topic. And I'm really, really glad that you guys are going to talk to us about segmentation and, and maybe like the most important factor that people aren't thinking about today. So I think that's going to be great. And I, I'm not going to steal the thunder. So you're going to have to listen and learn what that is. Okay, Rebecca, thanks. So part of the challenge is that B2B tech companies or B2B companies in general just really struggle with Ziri, as you said. And part of the challenge is that they, their segmentation is not differentiated. Their approach to personas is not differentiated. As Rod and I have talked about many times with clients, is if you're using the same data that everybody else uses, then your segmentation will be no different than anybody else's. If you're using the same approaches, the same frameworks. So Rod, you have yeah. a story to tell here. Thanks, you know, yeah. Uh, having worked for, uh, in the computer industry, I, I worked for a large billion dollar tech company. And uh, four years later, I got recruited to their biggest competitor, about a $25 billion tech company. And I was all excited at the concept of getting access to even further, you know, data that I could really use to segment our, our, my marketing programs. But what I discovered was they were using the exact same reports from the same consultants. They were hiring the same organizations to do the same studies. I was very, uh, I would say despondent, but certainly I uh, was unhappy to realize that there really wasn't much differentiation unless you put massive investments into, into primary research, which most companies just don't do because the time it takes, the energy it takes to get that done and the expense. So it, it made me realize that, boy, you know, at best, you can be slightly better than your competitor if you're using the same exact tools and data to segmentize your audience, especially by demographics, firmographics, and then, you know, personal later on in the 90s, personas became the big thing, right? So, and we saw that challenge today. I mean, today yeah, we absolutely. work with hundreds of tech companies and, and we constantly are being given marketing plans, messaging maps, and things like that, that clearly don't have any real true differentiation. And, and that becomes really, really challenging, especially today when most companies don't have the leapfrog and competitive uh, benefit that we used to see, you know, 30 years ago, for example. So it's a real challenge today. And I think even to some extent, it, it's been exasperated with some of the generative AI, right? Some of the chat GPT is a great tool. But if you rely solely on that, there's nothing that your competitor can't do that, right? So you really need to, to differentiate yourself in what you ask and also understand that that's not the full answer. So this sort of differentiation, not just in what you build, but like in every step of the process is, I think, really, really critical. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so just to build on Rod's experience, I had a similar experience working for a very large tech company, which you would think have lots of resources to do segmentation. And they, I was in the manufacturing division. I was a marketing executive in the manu. And I would ask my peers, who do we sell to? Who's our ideal client? And they said, well, people in the aerospace, in the semiconductor industry, food and beverage industry, oil and gas, chemical. And they listed every single manufacturing industry. <laughs> and I said, well, who do we, who should sales call on? And they said, well, people in those industries, people with manufacturing plants. Well, that's perfect. not- For everybody. <laughs> that's everybody. They were, we're for everybody. Anybody who wants to pay us money, we'll take their money. And then I said, well, let's get a little bit more granular. And then somebody said, well, I know what we should do. Let's tell the salespeople to focus on those plants, those factories that have more than 300 employees. So what we should do is tell them to go around and count the cars in the parking lot. And if there's more than 300 cars, 
then it's worth a sales call. If there's less than 300 cars, then just to drive on by. Well, what happens if the customer has a real need for the tech that we're selling, mm. but they don't have a lot of people because they're highly automated? And so they could, not only is the metric not very specific, but the metric can be very misleading as well. And this is really a very famous, well-known B2B tech company that also struggles with these issues. So we can only imagine that the people listening to this podcast also struggled with these issues as well. And it's nice to know you're not alone out there, right? But it's good to know you're not alone, but that's not enough, right? So how do we get better at segmentation? What should we be focused on? So one of the things, let me give you an example. We love to, you know, segmentation is such a complex topic. Mm. We like using simple analogies to explain the complex. So let me just share with you what you should not do and the ramifications of forced segmentation, if that's okay, Rebecca. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So suppose that you're selling tuna and you have a factory that is real geared up to catch tuna, carve up tuna, put tuna in cans, you know, as pro- their product people are all focused on, you know, creating better ways to can tuna, new markets to sell tuna. It's tuna, 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 tuna. But let's say that the salespeople are measured on this number or the size of the fish that they bring in, which is like size of the deal, and they happen to bring in a whale. <laughs> Now, what do you do? They're all celebrating and they're making plans to go to Hawaii for the president's awards trip. And the rest of the organization now has to figure out what do we do with this whale? Hmm. You know, is it even legal to have a dead whale on our dock? (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, and, and you look at the ramifications of that. Whale oil is no longer used. This is in the 1880s. You know, can we eat whale meat? And so there's a lot of ramifications. And because the segmentation wasn't clear, salespeople weren't given the right guidelines or guardrails. You end up like a lot of companies with the salespeople celebrating a massive deal and the rest of the organization really struggling to keep up. Yeah, we see this. Neil and I, along with Pragmatic, we, as you know, we co-sponsor the Product Leadership Council and so every month we're talking to product executives from around the world. And boy, we constantly hear the challenge of the sales force getting all excited and distracted by the big whale, right? The big mm-hmm. opportunity, especially the technologists and the product leaders who are trying to stick to a product roadmap. But the CFO or CEO comes down and says, our guys in Oshkosh have this opportunity at uh, Monsanto and we need you to go and create this new capability for the product that takes them completely off their product roadmap. And that's a deep frustration we constantly hear, Neil, I'm sure you're interested mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you asked Rebecca, what, what can be done? Mm-hmm. And in the article, we introduce a new way of thinking about segmentation. And most of the time, people use firmographic data, you know, number of employees, size of company, geographic data, or they're located in the Northeast or the Southwest of the U.S., or they can even use employee size, for example, or demographic data, how old people are, you know, their income, whatever it is. 
And we propose using a different metric, which is urgency of needs. How urgently do they need what you're selling? And once again, we love talking about using simple analogies to explain very complex processes. And we use what we call the fire extinguisher analogy. So suppose that you're selling fire extinguishers door to door and you call on and you're a salesperson, you call on two houses in an affluent neighborhood. Both have a husband and a spouse. They have two kids, a boy and a girl. They have the same size house. One house happens to be dark. The other house has to be white. One house has black shutters. The other has white shutters. And you go on and on and on, and you can really describe the house, the ages of the people, the cars they drive, how far the house is set back, et cetera, et cetera. But it tells you as a salesperson absolutely nothing about the likelihood to buy your fire extinguishers. So you have to call on both. At the same time, let's just change one thing about one house, and only one house has smoke coming out of kitchen, the kitchen window. Now, which house is going to buy your fire extinguisher? It's a house with smoke. And you look at it, and they're not going to form a buying committee. They're not going to go out there and test a whole bunch of fire extinguishers. They're not going to negotiate on price. The whole purpose is for you to be there, deliver the right customer experience, namely helping them put the fire out, and they will buy right away. And so that's what we call urgent needs. There is another category where you could look at and expand your urgent need market by saying, well, let's look at the house who just watched their neighbor's house burn down. Now they've been spooked. They've been traumatized. Maybe they'll go out and now say, gee, we better rethink our fire safety procedures. We better check our smoke detectors. We better check to make sure we have fire extinguishers and we have access to them. So all of a sudden, the characteristic may be smoke or it may be broader than that. But it's critical to understand what are the characteristics of your customers regarding urgency, that urgent need. And then you can look at how large the market. Fortunately, there aren't a lot of houses right now who catch on fire but there may be enough to spook people and have people who are spooked. The next category is non-urgent needs. We call these level two, and they may not have a need right now, but maybe there's kids playing with rags, there's kids playing with matches, there's a gas stove with the drapes blowing right, and you get the idea that there may be a potential that one day they may also have an urgent need. The third category is no apparent need. These people may live in a brick house. They may not have a furnace. They may not have a stove because they eat out all the time. And so there's no chance that they may, their house may catch on fire, or so they think. Your challenge now is to decide how do we, do we fight for this business? Do the salespeople walk away and say, oh, don't call on brick houses? Or do you arm the salespeople with the tools to say, you may think you're safe, but you realize that 300 brick houses a year 
catch on fire because of A, B, and C. And so it's the opportunity to look at the no need is the third category. The fourth category is need is apparent met. It, using our analogy, it could be a sprinkler systems in place. And you then say, oh, if they have a sprinkler system, let's just walk. We, it's not even worth the fight. The juice is not worth the squeeze. The odds of getting the business aren't that great. Or you may make the strategic decision to say, we believe we can win this business because we may teach the salespeople to say, if you have the sprinkler system go off, there's water everywhere, you're likely going to have to spend $30,000 to replace your kitchen. Wouldn't it be better to have a fire extinguisher that you can use to put out the fire immediately? But once again, that becomes a strategic decision, and this is how we're looking at strategic segmentation. You also may look at it as product roadmap development opportunities. Maybe you should partner with a sprinkler system company, and so the fire extinguisher goes off before the sprinkler system does, but if necessary, the sprinkler system will, will go off. So it's a very strategic framework. We outline it in the Harvard Business Review article. So let me just kind of echo back what I heard. So there's really like, I think the importance of understanding and segmenting your base by urgency of need, right? And there are four levels of urgency of need. There's urgent, non-urgent, currently met, and none right? Those are the, the four levels. They don't, they don't have any. And I think within those four levels, it's important what I'm hearing is both to understand that you need to spend some strategic time to think about which ones you're going to go after and how, right? So, I mean, I think everyone's like, oh, lovely. If I, urgent sounds like a great place to be, right? Like everyone's like, oh, they have high urgency, but that may not be enough, right? Or that may, there, there may be other reasons, but I think it's important both for you to to really think about those four segments and and sort of prioritize investment, prioritize time, but also as as you gave examples with your fire extinguisher to recognize that you will not go after those four the same way. Exactly. And Rod has a lot of thought particularly around the non-urgent need. Mm. Yeah, well as using the example of the fire extinguisher you know, when you're targeting the, the non-urgent, you're targeting people that recognize the need, but don't feel they have it right now, right? Right. So what, what you don't control as the vendor here is you don't control when that level changes priority. You don't have direct control when the house is going to go on fire, unless you do some very illegal things. Right? <laughs> but you generally don't have that control. So as a marketer, your job is to do two things. Is one, number one and foremost, is to be top of mind when that does happen, Right. So you want to be top of mind. You want to be the first clear choice of who they contact when they do suddenly realize, geez, we need to shift our priorities. This is more important than we had thought it was. We need to focus on a solution. And you want that light bulb to go off that someone says, oh, I know who can help me. And that's what we mean when we help our clients create what we call a mind share, which is not just awareness, but awareness extended over time. Because you have to keep that awareness level high enough so that when the need does suddenly match the opportunity, they think of you immediately. The second thing you need to look at is, can we educate in our marketing efforts? Can we communicate and educate in a way that helps to accelerate the process of when the priority of that need increases up the scale on their scale of priorities, right? And we do that. A good example is we have a client who has a healthcare solution that, that deals with compliance. 
And in a lot of organizations they sell to, they felt like, well, we've already got good, you know, we feel like a good protection for our cyber security, et cetera. We don't really need this. And they weren't seeing, they knew the need, they recognized the importance of the privacy and the data protection, but they didn't really understand the potential downside. So what we started doing was creating a newsletter every month that included a list of the fines that had been given out the past month to various healthcare organizations mm-hmm. by the government Smart. for non-compliance. They were not aware of this, but fortunately for us, it's government data we could access. And we simply compiled it and put it out in a newsletter. Now, all of a sudden, the phone started ringing because companies started realizing, whoa, are you telling me a company my size can lose $350,000 in one month because of a non-compliance? That could be caught not just by some formal audit, but could be caught by one of my vendors, you know, reaching out to the authorities, for example. So yes, you have to sort of give them a reason to accelerate that level of of understanding of the urgency. And that's the two really critical things you need to do. And that impacts your sales messaging and your value propositions, for example, that impact your sales tools for sure. Because I can tell you having, my company creates, I don't know, easily a thousand different sales tools a year, right? You multiply that by 30 years, we've done a lot of sales tools. (laughs) I can promise you that a tiny fraction of them have ever requested that we segment by urgency of needs. Mm. We always get requests to create different collateral pieces that have been segmented by two, two areas mostly. One is, the first one by industry, right? So yep. one brochure for automobile, another one for healthcare, another one for aerospace, for example. But the second area is, is by a decision level. We'll have one, let's mm-hmm. say, okay, we want to, we need a sales campaign or a brochure designed to go after executives, they're business people, they're not very technical. So it's got to be high level business messaging. And then we'll create a second version that has a lot more technical details for the users and technical decision makers, for example. So those are pretty common ways to differentiate and segment your, your sales tools. But nobody ever looks at, rarely ever looks at, I should say, is the urgency of needs and say, okay, because the messaging for somebody who already understands the urgency and has it is very, very different. As Neil said in the fire extinguisher analogy, they're not going to care themselves with the, the color of the fire extinguisher or the bracket, the wall brackets and things like that. They just, is it available? Is it reliable? Can I, how quickly can I get it? Right. But for people that don't understand or don't see the urgent need for themselves, but recognize the urgency. Their sales tools and campaigns need to focus on, hey, are you aware of the, the compliance issues? Are you aware of how likely your house might go on fire? And then the third level down, if there are those that don't see a need because they feel that it met and they perceive that it's met, you can test that with sales tools and marketing says, are you really sure? Are you aware of? Do you know? Here's that's where infographics, for example, work really well. Ten statistics you need to know about cyber compliance, for example. Mm. Those type of things work really, really well because they help open people's eyes to a misperception they realize they had about the urgency of the needs. So that's what really comes on the sale, right down to the tactical level of marketing campaigns and sales tools. It's like you said, it's it's so important both from a strategic level and an execution level. Absolutely. So, I mean, I think, I hope that everyone's like, I mean, you're bought in, right? You're like, we should totally segment by urgency. I think the question becomes, how do I recognize who's likely to have the right level of urgency at a wider scale? Like it's one thing if I'm talking to an individual that I can get that. That's what sales does when they do their band, you know, but how in general, how do I, from a, a bigger perspective, find with the fertile ground where I suspect I will find the, you know, the segment, the, the urgent segment or the non-urgent segment, the people that I want to talk to? Yeah. So one thing, Rebecca, just looking at the uh, non-urgent needs, and we and, and the fire extinguisher, 
once again, house on fire is what we call a trigger event. Yes, that would be a good signal. (laughs) Yes. Or you can look at people who have been spooked and watch their neighbor's house go on fire. And literally, my neighbor in the back house burned down uh, about two years ago. And I guarantee you, I checked my smoke alarms and I checked my fire extinguishers because we were spooked. And so you can look at this as trigger events. Hmm. You know, an example was we were working with a company that sold inventory management solutions. It connected with the ERP system, for, you know, for example. Mm-hmm. And what we found is a trigger event was companies that had merged or acquired another manufacturer meant that the data, that the inventory management systems no longer talk to each other. They had to integrate it into the ERP system. And this turned out to be an excellent opportunity. And that's data that's regularly available. We were able to develop scripts for the business development reps or the sales development reps, BDRs, SDRs. And they were able to call into a list of people who had just been part of a merger and acquisition. And so that would be somebody who had been exposed to a trigger event with a non-urgent need. No, we're all set with our inventory management system to, wow, we better replace our, have to replace it because these systems don't work together Mm -hmm. anymore. That's an example of exactly what Rod's talking about in terms of the er level of urgency of need going up. It's a great way of helping to identify, like, like you said, if I was going to try to find something to do a mailing to on fire extinguishers, if I look where there were fires nearby, where it may have been thing like those kind of things or companies of mergers and acquisitions or people who just went next to P totally depends on what your product is, right? Industries where there was just big lawsuit because of cybersecurity, those kind of things as a trigger event starts to give you some criteria where you can sort of guess isn't the right, hypothesize. That always sounds better. Hypothesize, you know, which one of those might be urgent or non-urgent and tailor your messaging to that. Right. And the trigger event isn't, ju- isn't just something that occurs at the company you're targeting. It can occur mm-hmm. to their competitors. For example, mm-hmm. two of their competitors merge and in the process, they announce end of life for one of those competitors' products. Mm-hmm. And that end of life means you've got a window of opportunity now that suddenly makes your product much more opportunistic, right? And so you got opportunity in a window to go after that says, hey, they're going to end of life their product within nine months. They've announced it. We've got to get out there and target those companies because they're going to be vulnerable for a switch to a different brand, for example. So, so those trigger events are not just your own events that can happen in your industry. New compliances get announced. The government announces a new compliance or a, strict, a more stricter compliance, for example, can change the, anything that changes the competitive environment or the landscape that you're selling to yourself can be part of those trigger events. Yeah, and looking further down level three, level four, namely the need already met or no apparent need, it's a great opportunity as product folks to play a lead role and say, how do we want to behave? How do we want to handle these? If a customer has, let's say they already have a system in place, let's say you're selling software that does accounting for financial services, well, Let's say they already have a system in place because everybody has some sort of system. Well, maybe there's an opportunity to say to a potential prospect, yeah, but you don't handle these kinds of financial instruments. 
you know, let's say uh, derivatives or whatever fancy new instruments that are out there. And it may be an opportunity for you then to segment the market around the no apparent need or need already met by saying, well, if in their annual report or on their website, they talk about, you know, treasuries or bonds more than they do equities, then maybe they're a better category or a better prospect, even though they already have a system. And so this is where we can play our lead role in helping organizations understand who we should be targeting and giving salespeople the focus so they're not all just chasing whales that we talked about before, but give them the ability to say, okay, this is a prospect I think I can close. And then to Ron's point, well, how do we develop the training in terms of how do you approach those legacy systems that maybe use that where the financial firm is using a lot of interest rates or cash or treasury bills to handle their you know, as their products, they're a better target than those that, that don't. Then maybe just equities only. No, that's smart. I mean, I, I do think your annual reports can be good. I know uh, in the article you talk about things that are signaled by different, even job listings, right? I mean, there's all kinds of ways. I think to your point, think about the triggering event first, and then let's figure out how we might be able to find that information on a more scalable place. But also to your point, Neil, too, so there's, there's that so that I can market to it and I can bring those in. But it's also training your salespeople to, on an individual level when they got on a call, when it's N equals one, that they can easily go, okay, this is level one, this is level two, and I will talk to them this way. So there, there really is sort of both scaled levels. And it's, it's not just the training of the salespeople, but we, Neil might recall this, you know, one of the executives that read our article wrote to us and said, hey, this urgency of needs framework can also help to divide the sales force by their skill levels mm. and maybe focus a portion of our salespeople who are much better at closing the urgent need customers, whereas other, other salespeople are more skilled at converting a non-urgent to an mm. urgent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Different skill levels can be used to, to differentiate the salespeople's focus, for example. I thought that was a very interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah and, and that was the other, exactly. That was the CRO of one of the Europe's largest companies that we were talking to brought that up. And then he raised the question, you're, you're forcing me to rethink my compensation because it's a lot easier to make your number if you're just calling on the urgent needs versus you're trying to convert those that have a no perceived need and convince them that they have a need. That's much harder. It requires a different skill set. So if I'm just measuring on revenue generated, everybody wants to call on the urgent yeah. needs. Yeah. But that's not always where my business needs to be focused. So there's a lot of ramifications here, but it's also a great opportunity for product teams, namely folks listening to this podcast or who have taken pragmatic courses, to really step up and say, I want to use this framework to drive the organization to think differently about our approach to the market. And we're not just going to rely on the standard firmographic data that everybody else utilizes. It's a wind of opportunity because when new types of approaches like these are being used, you know, yeah, eventually this may catch on and become standard, but right now there's obviously a wind of opportunity for companies that are more aggressive and and rethinking how they segment their markets and their target audiences to be thinking about how do I get a competitive advantage in doing that? 
Absolutely. one of the other areas that I think where urgency needs to really apply is your marketing budget, your overall budgeting. Because once you looked at, okay, we have X number of opportunities we can expect to get focusing an urgent level, okay? Well, that might not be enough to satisfy your sales revenue goals, obviously, for the year. So next you look at, the, okay, then we need to target on the non-urgent. And that may still not be enough. So maybe you have to tap into the currently met, the those that, you know, that believe that they're perceived that their challenge has been currently met. So you have to tap into that. But at, level, at each level, you obviously can apply a different level of budget in terms of the marketing effort. And so you need to figure out, you can actually look at your budget and say, okay, we want to spend 60% of our budget on the urgent. We want to spend uh, 28% on you know, the non-urgent and we'll spend the remaining on the currently met area. And we're going to ignore, for example, the no needs we talked about. And some companies have to focus on the no needs as well, just by creating awareness because the volatility of the market is such that, you know, you don't want to assume that no need is not an opportunity. It's just not an opportunity now. And something can change that makes them suddenly makes them change the priority level. So being completely silent to the no need market space is not necessarily a good idea. Are there times where, I mean, it like, you know, on the surface, everyone's going to be like, okay, so I'm going to go urgent, then I'm going to go non-urgent, then I'm going to say, you know, either no need or already met and then no need, right? Like there seems like there's a somewhat logical, are there companies where, or things that you should consider to make sure that is the priority order that should matter to you? Are there times that someone would be like, you know what, we are not best set up for urgent. We are best set up for non-urgent. Yeah, I think this looks at your core competencies which is another part of the pragmatic framework. And, you know, for example, you think about the fire extinguisher analogy. Being there right at the time a fire happens, being there when the salesperson shows up to put out the fire ahead of the fire department, well, that may be an urgent need, but is your core competency set up to deliver that? Mm. Do you mm-hmm. have the service delivery? You know, this is where you get at your service delivery approach. I know there's tools within the pragmatic toolkit where you can start looking at your core competencies and say, what are we good at? You know, does is this valued by the customer? Is this also unique? But, you know, uh, so in that case, you know, while you, you may say, oh, yeah, we want to be selling to the folks whose houses are on fire. When you start getting down to the logistics and the customer experience and your services capabilities and your supply chain mm-hmm. capabilities, you may not have a prayer of really making, uh, satisfying that market because then your lawyers will be there. Well, well we say we're going to put out the fires. What if we don't put out the fire, you know, and then are we liable for the house burning? And, and so you can look at a lot of ramifications about showing up with a fire extinguisher right there and then. So I think it gets to be real interesting because this is a framework that, as we talk about in the article, has ramifications for not just the marketing, your messaging, your value proposition, even how you define a sales qualified or a marketing qualified lead, but has implications for sales compensation and sales organization structure. Also, your services capabilities. You know, your support organization, you know, what do you want your professional services to be done? You know, if they're focusing on helping replacing a legacy system, or in the case of the inventory management company, if they're integrating to uh, inventory management systems, they better be able to do that. And that's where you have as product people, 
we have a real chance to be leaders in terms of thinking about this strategically. A really good example in the fire extinguisher analogy here is, is if you sell if you sell the sprinkler systems, right? Right. Sprinkler yeah. systems, you no chance. You know, those urgent customers are too, you're just no way. The time it takes for you to, to install, deliver, install a, a sprinkler system just doesn't fit their needs, basically. So you have to focus on the next level down, for example. And yeah. the other thing you brought up, which is channels of distribution is a big one, right? If you've got uh, resellers and distributors all over the country that can deliver quickly on time, that's one thing. If you're a mail order that does custom only types of mail, you know, through a website, and it takes three weeks minimal to deliver anything, then you you have to you have to look at your market opportunities and say, okay, that one's not for us. Well, an urgency. I mean, it's it's about how you package things too, right? When I have urgency needs, I'm looking for simplified packaging, quick decision making, right? And maybe I have to do like the streamlined version of my fire extinguisher a little bit, right? Like I can just do it quick. But when we're looking at wider options, when we're non-urgent, they may be more interested in the options and more willing to take the time to determine if that you know, plus version is something that works. Yeah. And so just to, to point out, Rebecca, in terms of the framework and the urgency of needs, it really looks like it also has ramifications for what we call channel readiness. Hmm. And in fact, Rod and I wrote an article published in Pragmatic earlier this year on channel readiness but in order to be do effective job of channel readiness, you need to do this upfront work around segmentation. Because this will give you the ability to, with confidence to point your salespeople in the right directions and develop tools that the CRO is going to love. And we may want to post a link to that and, as well. Yeah. And, and you may want to direct your channels partners to a different level. Of, of urgency need than your own direct sales force mm. based on geographic distribution, based on local, localized capabilities with the ability to customize, for example. A lot of opportunities to use the urgency of needs model in so many ways, um, uh, impacting marketing, product marketing, product management, and, and your sales force. I love that. <laughs> All right. We talked about lots of different things today. If you could get our listeners to do two things differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would you guys say? Well, I would say, well, one, obviously read the article, but two, take, take the framework and really sit down with your teams and even on your own, figure out how you would apply the framework to your product. If you're as a product marketer or product manager, just apply it and start it out. And the second thing then is to share it with others and use it as a tool to build consensus. Right. Yeah. And just, and just start asking the right questions of your target customers, which is, what are your frustrations and how urgent are they, right? What are the goals? How clear are your goals and are you able to achieve them? What's the roadblocks keeping you from reaching those goals, for example? And what's the environment and situation that might be changing that you need to keep an eye on, such as, like I said, compliance changes, for example, or competitive chains or mergers and acquisitions like we talked about earlier. And finally, technical factors. For example, mm -hmm. is there technology changes? Is there a new platform that's coming up in the next? AI, for example, is a perfect example. How, are we going to be able to compete with AI? Should we adopt, adopt AI? Should we be an early adopter? Should we wait on that and see how it goes and how this is going to impact uh, the urgency of our customers, for example? So there's a lot of areas to look at. Excellent. I like when we give them homework. All right. We are going to post the link to the Harvard Business Review article. We're also going to post both Neil and Rod's email 
And I can tell you firsthand that they are always willing to chat. They are great thought partners as you work through through these things. And I, I know they'd love to work with you. And we will also post a link to the channel readiness. So you'll have all the goodies in there, listeners. All right, Neil and Rod, as always, it's a delight to talk to you. And thank you for sharing all of your, your, your thoughts on this framework and your expertise with our listeners. Thank you. Thanks. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.